Hello, this is David Metric, founder of Airbrook One, where we are reimagining how you can book and fly privately. With the big increase in popularity in flying private jets over the past couple of years, it's our hope that our listeners will learn many of the ins and outs of flying private jets. It's a very cool world, tough to break into, so let's get into it. Today's guest is Mike Dagnino, owner and operator of Aero Resources and Apex Aviation Logistics, which can be your contract or subscription-based schedule or dispatcher, as well as the new head of operations at Airbook One, which is rethinking the way you can fly private jet charter. Uh, welcome, Mike, to Jetmetric Podcast. David, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's exciting. It's our first, uh, first podcast and uh, really looking to have our listeners uh, learn a little bit about uh, private jet charter, and we've got uh, some good stuff to talk about today. It's a super, super exciting industry. I do want to start off with just a, a personal little question, just about air, 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 private air travel. Uh, what was the best trip you took, either business or personal, uh, via private air destination, aircraft, you know, what you did? I'd love to hear that. I've been lucky enough to plan a lot of trips, but um, unfortunately haven't gotten to fly on many, but um, I do remember my first time on a private jet and it was my first job out of college uh, working as a charter salesman. And our principal had his aircraft based in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and we were mainly operating out of Chicago Executive, which was Palwaukee back then. So we had to reposition an airplane for maintenance and I got to get a ride on a G2. And until you've sat in an older aircraft like that with a fancy cabin and the big loud engine, I'll never forget just how incredible it was and how disappointed I was to have to go back to flying on the airline. <laughs> it's why I know what you mean. I um, came from the real estate world and I became interested in private air myself just by being on flights with clients and we flew uh, Challenger 300s and then the, one of the clients upgraded to Challenger 600s. Um, but when we were paying it for ourselves, we were flying King Air 90s and 300s, which are very different, nice, but very different than the, the, the nice uh, jets we're talking about. But uh, yeah, I was just curious. Uh, well, know, I got to tell you, the King Air 200 will always be one of my favorite planes. Very underrated. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good. Nice on the inside too. Nice what people think. Yeah. All right. So uh, one thing in thinking about what's going on in today's uh, private jet charter, there's obviously there's been a lot in the news recently with the, with the high demand of private air charter after COVID. Certainly um, there's some reports that um, have been published in Forbes and whatnot, uh, that private air travel is up 40 percent from 2019 numbers, which is pretty heavy. And also in the recent news, which I'd call the King NetJet suspended there sales for, for new members, as did EJM, their broker arm, and as did Jets.com. And I'm just curious, because you've been in this industry for a very long time, uh, this is new. Uh, we haven't seen this before, where there's issues getting into fractional ownership or jet card. I'm just curious, what's your take on what's happening in the industry and the demand? You know, um, I think there's a lot of different factors that are in play here. And I think it actually started before COVID. And there was, you know, a period leading up to COVID where, you know, charter was starting to increase a little bit, um, but the manufacturers were down a little bit on their orders. And um, I think 
we were in a situation where we were seeing a little bit of um, held back manufacturing. And then when COVID hit, everyone just immediately slammed the brakes. And that's only happened a couple of times in this industry. And, you know, usually whenever something like that happens, the rebound is quick. So I think what we saw was a lot of owners panicked a little bit and put their planes on the market at a low rate. And a lot of first time buyers due to the, the pandemic saw an opportunity to buy a little bit low and also uh, be able to travel with the airlines being way scaled back or even shut down in, in some cases. So what you saw was a lot of existing owners getting out of their current aircraft, new owners purchasing them for a first time as first time buyers. And I think you and I both know from even our first experiences in your past travel in corporate, you don't want to go back to the airlines. So the people that sold their planes weren't going back to the airlines. They all flooded the jet card and fractional market to make up for the planes that they had sold. So what you see is you can't build planes fast enough to keep up with that, especially during the pandemic with you know parts being slowed down and factories being scaled back and stuff. So it's twofold in that owners got out of ownership and into fractional and private jet cards, and you had first-time buyers out there as well. And if you've been in the charter industry as long as I am, the first thing you know is when someone buys a plane um, and they put it on a charter certificate, the first thing they're going to do is, is fly and fly and fly until they're ready for someone else to fly on their plane. So you've got people flooding the charter market, first-time owners that are flying the planes themselves, and then the pre-existing owners all flooding the fractional and jet card market, and it just was a perfect storm. And like I said, you just can't build planes fast enough, so it'll be interesting to see how this goes. It's funny you say that. So there's that GRP model where people, uh, people, large companies are short on inventory, and then they go out and they contact a third-party operator, and they'll lease the operator's planes for a full day, a full week, month, a year, taking basically charter jets off the market on the broker side, where on the fractional ownership side and jet card side, they're kind of controlling that inventory or seeing that, certainly seeing wheels up doing that, plus wheels up is ramping up their sales of aircraft, which is the opposite of what NetJets and EJM and Jets.com are doing. It's just interesting because you have some who are getting squeezed, they can't take on anyone else or trying to figure out ways to do it and at one. And then two, you have wheels up, same issue, but they're the opposite direction. They're not contracting, they're going the other direction by buying up aircraft. And I'm just curious what your thought is about the, you know, the two different sides of it and then two, how the GRP model will affect this situation going forward. For people who aren't part of jet cards, aren't part of fixed ownership on the broker side, they just want to, you know, they want to get into the market. They want to privately, you know, charter a jet. And all of a sudden that inventory is getting squeezed because the big guys are kind of trying to take control of that inventory, the third party inventory. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've got these, these larger companies, whether it's jet cards or fractional ownership, and even some charter companies that are selling block time, which is pretty much the same as, as a jet card, but with a little bit more flexibility, these fractional owners and uh, fractional companies and jet card companies have a responsibility to their clients. These clients paid money up front. So they're going to source the aircraft and have it at their disposal to make sure that they can take care of their existing clients. 
And because these clients paid up front, they have the, the money to be able to do it. So that in turn is definitely going to squeeze the charter market because as we've been talking about, it shrinks inventory and they can charge more. So it's, it's going to be a little bit harder for first time buyers to come out, uh, first time charter customers, and they're going to see not a lot of aircraft available, fewer choices and higher price uh, per hour for planes because of this industry slowdown in terms of inventory. So I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But right now, um, even with the fractionals and jet card companies slowing down, they still have all the power. And when you say all the power, you mean controlling the inventory? Correct. In listening to you talk about the larger companies like NetJets and Wheels Up, there's this whole small to mid-sized operator network, if you will, out there. Um, a really lack of network out there who rely on brokers, like if you will, or their own contacts to lease their own airplanes. And so how will they fare when they have the inventory, but they don't have the bandwidth to get out there and market themselves to people, you know, first time flyers, um, people who fly maybe 30 hours a year, 20 hours a year, a little bit smaller than what the larger companies look for. How, how do those small and mid-sized operators fare in today's world? Well, David, I think that the smaller operators with a little bit smaller fleets rely pretty heavily on their local markets as well as, as brokers to come in. And the idea for them is to go out and find that needle in a haystack, which is kind of what, what brokers bring to the table. There's a lot of flyers out there that don't necessarily want to plunk down 10, 20, $30,000 to be a member of a company and having planes changed on them at the last minute and stuff. So I think that's one of the one of the great things about what Airbook One is trying to do is giving charter customers the ability to search their flights and know that they're being sourced by smaller to mid-sized companies and all of it without having to pay for a membership. So if you can go online and you can search for a, a route and get a hard price and know that there's going to be no last minute changes and additions, uh, it's kind of the magic behind what, what a company like Airbook One is trying to do. The way Charter usually works is if you call a broker and you're not part of one of these big programs, the broker's many times going to go out and get multiple quotes and pit these smaller flight departments against each other to drive the price down so the broker makes higher margins. And at the end, the customer's paying retail no matter what, but these small to mid-sized operators are getting squeezed in order to just get the trip. And for someone like Airbook One to come in and go to a, a small to mid-sized operator and say, we already booked this trip. We have money, cash in hand. We just this is the price. We need to make it work. I think they're gonna they're gonna be a lot more successful in not knowing that when they send a quote, two days later, a broker is going to come back and say, I need it for this price, or I'm going with somebody else. So one of the reasons why I like working with Airbook One is, is I've been on both sides of charter. I've worked for um, owners that are chartering them, and I've been on the sales side. And I think when you look at it in terms of operation, that when you send a quote off, you know that this trip is already booked, and they're not just using your price to to lower it. And I think that's going to really help these small to mid-sized companies survive in this type of environment. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. But as you're talking about that, I'm thinking also with respect to the inventory shortage, 
And then maybe there's some people, you know, who, who are forced over to the broker jet charter side with everything being squeezed. I mean, will, you know, aircraft safety be in flux, flight crew safety, will it be shortcuts made from some operators um, or, uh, you know, the FAA has got a, a strong hand on that. And that's just something that, that doesn't happen. I'm just thinking to myself, if um, someone is squeezed and want to get a trip and there's a new operator out there, a small operator, it's kind of, you know, really wants to get the, their, their planes flying. You know, I'm, I'm worried about personally, are their corners being cut? Like I mentioned, I've been on both sides of, of it. I've been on the charter sale side and the uh, private ownership side of it. And I could tell you by experience that when it comes to maintenance and pilots and dispatchers and flight departments, there's no skimping. So I, I don't worry about the safety of it. The FAA and everybody does a great job with their rules, but it's really up to the people to get it done. And I've been in this industry for well over 20 years and the pride of ownership from a maintenance department and the crew wanting to get their passengers out safely and effectively, especially with the crazy weather we've been having and, 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 and COVID it's been amazing to see these flight departments operate, you know, with all the diversity that's out there. And again, just the rules are constantly changing with the COVID and watching them make sure the planes are clean and, and make sure that, the FBOs are all set and ready for them. So I, I don't feel that that's going to be a problem. Um, I also think that there's been some talk of pilot shortages coming, um, but I think that where we're at now is how long it's going to take for some new inventory to come along. I think there's plenty of great pilots out there, great maintenance technicians. So I, I don't see that being, being a problem, to be honest with you. And, and it has to do with actually being at the hangar and being at the FBO and, and watching how these teams operate. It's, it's really amazing and, and great to see. So I, that's not something that I have a concern about. So, I mean, knowing you, knowing you for a while now, sounds like maybe you could, you could get back up there and start flying again. I know you used to, you know, I'd, I'd love to, that would be fun, but I got a lot of work to do and, being on the operations side of it is just gives me so much job satisfaction to see these planes operated safely around the country and around the world and seeing passengers get to their destinations. You know, I have, I have a real passion for um, being an entrepreneur and trying to solve problems. And I think with my dispatch companies trying to help pilots uh, navigate these COVID world and rising fuel costs and stuff like that and working with airbook one and bringing new customers to charter and at the same time offering just an incredible ease of use tool in the search for customers that have already flown charter it's, it's going to be shocking for them to see how easily and effective and efficient booking a charter could be for the first time and uh, as much as I like to get up there and uh, and start flying again, I feel like I still got work to do on this end. So maybe a few years down the road, when uh, when all this turns wildly successful, uh, I'll be able to get up and go do some more pleasure flying. That's for sure. I'm, I'm going to twist your arm before that because I want to fly with you. <laughs> okay, all right. We talk, well, we, we'll work we, on something. We talked about it before. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to forget. We'll we'll go get one of those uh, hundred dollar cheeseburgers that everyone talks about. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I'm in. Um, but it's interesting. So you're, what you just said kind of leads into my next question. So if you're new to private charter, we're, we're in an environment now we've established that is 
high demand inventory issues, you know, pricing is obviously going up because of these, these, these items, but you want to be involved in fly private charter. You don't want to be on a jet car deal. You want to be part of fraction ownership. So how has it worked? Is it working? Meaning how do I get into this? How do I figure it out? How do I rent a private jet? What do I do? Who do I call? Who can I trust? How has it been? Where are we today? Where is it going? That's a great question, David. Um, how charter is done today is just very antiquated with the way trip requests are quoted and how it takes days of emails and back and forth when it comes to the quoting and then hoping the plane is still available by the time you settle on a price and an operator. And I think that the future is the way Airbook One is presenting charter bookings to clients. It's, it's the reason why I wanted to be a part of it. And I think it's the future in where this is heading. And that is automated booking with guaranteed pricing. And it's all backed by decades of aviation ex experts with our flight concierge team. And I really do think it's going to be the future. Right now, it doesn't exist uh, to be able to not pay high membership fees and have access to an online booking platform with guaranteed pricing. So I, I think that's the future. I think that's where Charter's going. And I think us here at Airbook One are on the cutting edge of that. And it's going to be exciting to see it unfold. All right. Th thanks, Mike. That sounds exciting. And um, I, I do agree that I think the future is through automated booking process and guaranteed pricing. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But before I let you go, because I guess technically you're working at three different companies, so you probably don't have much time, <laughs> much more time left. But question is, what is your favorite aircraft period, your private aircraft end of the day? And what's your favorite aircraft you've ever flown? And where did you fly it to? Wow, that's great. So I've been lucky enough to be around long enough that I've, I've managed my share of aircraft. I've managed helicopters, turboprops, and you know light jets uh, all the way up through super long range planes. My first job was managing a fleet of G2s. And I think I mentioned that at the beginning of this podcast. But for me, there's something about a Gulfstream sitting on a ramp that just is always going to be my favorite. Every time I see one, it, it reminds me of why I love doing this. I love the technology and I love looking at those big birds sitting out there. And, and one day, man, that's one of the reasons why we work so hard is to maybe be lucky enough to uh, get on one as a passenger as opposed to someone that's operating the flight. But I'll, I would say that a Gulfstream is my favorite. And man, there's something about those old G2s that'll always do it for me. But, you know, one of my best trips I ever took flying uh, was probably my first solo cross country that I had to do for my private pilot's license. And um, I was flying and one of my legs was to Springfield, Illinois. I was flying the Cessna 152. And I thought I was a big shot flying into a larger airport. It was class C airspace. And, and it was just so thrilling to be able to talk to the controllers and know that I was coming in. And I felt like a big shot. <laughs> and uh, when I was about five miles out, I had an air traffic controller call in and tell me that I had an aircraft passing on my right and I should keep an eye out for it. And so I was flying along, looking for it, looking for it and couldn't find it. And all of a sudden, an F-16 flew by me, and oh the pilot God. actually waved <laughs> when he went by. 
And it was nothing like feeling like a big shot to feeling pretty small all at the same time. But man, that was one of the coolest things ever. I think I almost landed on the wrong runway when I wasn't paying attention, but it was magical. It was awesome. And it reminded me of, of, um, of why I was doing it. And, uh, you know, when you do that first long cost country for your private and you get back safe, you really gives you confidence of, you know, where you're at and you know what you're doing. And I'd say my, my days of flying, uh, really helped me in knowing the operation and what pilots are going through when they're planning these trips and stuff like that. So that's probably my favorite flying experience. Um, I've had a few. I got to fly a King Air 200 to go see the solar eclipse. That was pretty magical, too. Um, super cool. So I, I've got a few, but I would say getting my private and doing that first long country was something that I'll never forget. That's awesome. And, and I'm going to tell you one funny story about myself. This is not the one up you at all. And, and cause I can't, I'm not a pilot, but, um, but the best plane I've ever, I was ever on was a, uh, a Gulfstream 650. And that was when I was in Cleveland in Cleveland, Ohio, sorry, Cleveland, Ohio with a client, brand new plane of theirs. And we get on there. It's, I mean, obviously super awesome. A uh, couple stewards on there and then a major snowstorm hits and we're stuck there overnight. And then the owner of the company took the G6 and he left. And he sent his Challenger 600 to us, which is still a beautiful airplane. But the best one was technically a Gulfstream 600. I never flew it. I just sat on it and we got bumped to another plane. <laughs> thought that was pretty funny. That's funny. Yeah. But uh, and Mike, I want to thank you very much for your time. I appreciate your time. Um, I, I know you're busy. Um, if there's anything you want to leave us with this, anything you want to talk about um, Aero Apex, it'd be great to hear about what you're doing there. Then uh, we'll let you go. You know, similar like what Airbook One is trying to do for charter passengers is kind of what I'm also working on uh, with Aero Resources and Apex. Those companies are geared towards flight departments that don't have any dispatchers working for them. And the pilots are doing all the work themselves or maybe the maintenance uh, personnel is chipping in. So what we're looking to do is come in and on a subscription base to keep costs down, offering high-level dispatchers to navigate these these waters of COVID and raising fuel costs and, and making it easier for the, the flight crews to find safe uh, hotel rooms, rental cars, as well as making sure the passengers, ground transportation, catering, and all that stuff is ordered. So what we're trying to do is, is enable small flight departments that never thought they could afford a high-level dispatcher be able to bring in and make sure their operation is running as tip-top as possible. So I appreciate you asking that. It is geared towards flight departments, and we are trying to do something similar and and changing the way people do things. So I appreciate having me on as your first first podcast guest. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Is is, is there a website we could check that out at? Sure. Apexav.aero. You can go there and get a little history about myself and my partner, what, where we came from and how we grew up in the aviation industry. Uh, and you can see kind of where we're going there. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. Great. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Um, David, it was great talking to you. Thank you all for joining the jet metric podcast today. We hope you all learned a little, maybe became a bit smarter and maybe just maybe you're now a jet center or at least on your way to be the jet metric podcast is brought to you by Airbook one where booking private jet charters has never been easier with guaranteed pricing, a high-end flight concierge team, and a super cool app. 
Check out Airbrook One at www.airbrookone.com and on both the Apple app and Google Play stores. This podcast can be found at www.jetmetricpodcast.com and, of course, at the Airbrook One homepage. Have a great day, and until next time on the Jetmetric Podcast, read, learn, and fly. See you all later. Thank you.